This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. But Warthog, he's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! And now, it's time for Coach Hog's Locker Room. Good morning, good morning, Professor Ward Scott here in the Ward Hog Manly Cave here. And it's actually Coach Hog for a little bit today because um, we have had um, a 4th of July celebration. Hopefully it's been a celebration for you. And so we're going to move the agenda along and put in a little bit of Coach Hog today. Uh, as we speak, uh, we are trying to queue up. And I, when I get the signal from my good production team, um, I'll, uh, I'll share with you. It is the hot dog eating contest, which never fails to amaze me that there is such a thing. And that the perennial winner wins every year and that he gobbles down. And also there's a female version of him, which is amazing. And she doesn't quite choke down as many as he does. He's in the 60s. I think she's in the 40s. Uh, if I get the high sign from my production people, we've got an okay. I think one of the funniest things, I haven't been able to see it anywhere else, but we found it. I want to thank everybody over at Production Studio. <clears throat> we are in, by the way, the Melton Law Studio here in Manly Warhog Command Center. And Melton Law has 50 years of experience, the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. They won't back down. And of course, we're protected by crime prevention 24-7, cpss.net, if you want to uh, tune in and check uh, with them for security. And of course, our mugshots with Maurice T. McDaniel. Now, I want to show this to you, uh, and if you think it's as funny as I am, I uh, think it is. Uh, let's let's take a run at it. See if production gives me a high sign. We can take a run at it. We might have to run that again because it's so funny. Uh, therefore, Joey Chestnut, uh, he is the nation's, he's a famous hot dog eating contestant, perennial winner. And <laughs> here he is choking down. Uh, I'm going to have, I get so much kick out of him. I have production run it one more time. Here he is choking down uh, another ear. And all of a sudden, somebody comes up and wants to challenge him. And with one hand, he takes the guy down while keeping the other on his mouth. There it is. Watch it now. There he goes. There he goes down. He choke. There he go, buddy. He puts a, he puts the intruder in the choke lock while he's choking down uh, uh, the uh, one winning hot dog after another. Uh, it's an amazing uh, deal. I don't know where they dream up these things, but I'm one of these guys who's a sucker for it. He devoured 63 hot dogs in 10 minutes. His but he didn't he didn't beat his own record. His own record was 76 hot dogs he ate last year, and. Um, <laughs> he claims the, the belt he gets for this is the mustard belt. <laughs> he beat, 
the mustard belt. He out at the second place Fishner, uh, Je Jeffrey Esper. He, who, Jeffrey had a, a choked down 47 and won half hot dogs. Oh, my golly. And uh, the winner, Joey Chestnut, goes by the nickname Jaws. Oh, it just doesn't get any better than this. He has won seven in a row of these uh, contests, uh, famous hot dog eating contests. Uh, I don't know how he does it. And 15 of the last 16 hot dog eating contests since taking down the six-time defending champion, uh, who has a name I can't pronounce, uh, Tekaru Kobayashi. Um, and he only had one loss in 2015 to somebody named Matt Stoney. Um, so here's, here's, here's the deal. Now, come on now. You can't, you can't even top this. In his career, Chestnut has now eaten uh, – this is off US Today Today. It keeps all this, by the way. Uh, Chestnut has now eaten a record. Are you ready for this? 1,152 combined in all of his contests hot dogs. <laughs> and he said, he said, when asked about how he trains for this, he said, most athletes have two kinds of primes. Their first prime is when their body is the best. I've passed that prime. The second prime is when their mind and knowledge is at its best, where you know your body and how to practice less, but be just as prepared. I'm there now. And he says he's going, he wants to go for 80 hot dogs. Now, there was a women's division. Mika Sudo reclaimed her title. She actually took a year off for pregnancy. You can believe it. She's 36 years old. Uh, she had a wrist injury while she was doing this, but she nevertheless ate 40 hot dogs, which was just short of her own personal best of 48 and a half hot dogs. Oh, uh, and we showed you the bizarre, it's a bizarre incident uh, early on in the men's competition when a protester rushed the stage to bump into Chestnut. And this guy, the hot dog eating champ, as you saw, responded by putting the protester in a mini chokehold. <laughs> you got to love it. I mean, you can't make it up any better than this. So they, they had a, a, a hiatus from this for a couple of years because of COVID-19. But the contest this year finally returned to the corner of Surf and Stillwell Avenues at Nathan's famous restaurant in Coney Island. There's a crowd of thousands that shows up for this and they cheer on these hot dog eaters. Oh, golly. And it's it's just really, uh, the, 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 get, get this now, the annual hot dog eating contest has been held rain or shine every year we had a little hiccup with the covid since 1916 <clears throat> i don't know of any sporting event that's more <laughs> storied as they say than that one so uh that is the uh, joey chestnut is the hot dog eating champ yet again Well, 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 we're going to give you a little a quick tour around the sports world. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, uh, this, this is interesting to me because, and therefore you, of course, anything that's interesting to your teacher, hopefully he can help encourage his students to be interested in. Um, there's so much money now flying around 
in the uh, athletic world, particularly in college, that I've got to sort of lump all these stories that I'm about to share with you together uh, under the under the heading of money. Um, and this is the kind of a weird um, take on it. If you may recall, there was a Georgetown University tennis coach. His name was Gordon Ernst. Well, he just uh, a couple of days ago, uh, as I understand it, according to Melissa Korn, who wrote about it, um, was sentenced to two and a half years in uh, prison in Boston federal court sentenced him um, because he had a what's called a varsity blues college admissions cheating scheme. Now, this is a little different wrinkle. You know, we got the name image likeness. We've got players being bought to come to a school. And here were parents wanting to get their child, the child into a quote unquote um, college of reputation, which is, uh, you know, some of these highfalutin places like Georgetown. And so this man seized upon an idea that he could be the gatekeeper for all this. And it ended up being a uh, <clears throat> 48 people sentenced when this is all said and done. <clears throat> turned out to be a multi-million dollar beep and bribery case. So uh, there were 57 people charged and nearly all pleaded guilty or were convicted. Now, that's one heck of an organization to get your kid into a college that you think is going to be uh, one of the creme de creme colleges who really doesn't have the scores. Now, this guy was 55 years old. Uh, he pled uh, uh, guilty to bribery conspiracy and filing false tax returns and this and that one and another. But all in total, he took about $3.5 million in bribes. Um, and he tagged these uh, students as tennis recruits, whether or not they actually played tennis. And getting uh, them in as tennis recruits, uh, at least on paper, guaranteed their admission. So um, he had a guy, he uh, fed the bribes through a fellow named William Rick Singer. He was the mastermind of the scheme, and he confessed to racketeering, beep, and money laundering conspiracy, as well as obstruction of justice. Um, he got, this guy got direct payments from parents under separate arrangements. You know, there's not a lot of difference when you really think about it between direct payments from parents to a, an organizer of a slush fund to get your kid into a college allegedly to play a sport they're not going to play, albeit, and to get your kid into a college to play sport and have a check come from the collective. I mean, it's, you know, I, I guess I ask you as students to sort of figure this out. Uh, I, it's beyond me. But um, so he got direct payments. Uh, these kids now are getting direct payments. Why go through the parents? Why didn't he just go ahead and pay the kids? I mean, you know, it's just the way we're doing business now. We're going to talk about that for a little while in Coach Hogg's locker room. But um, he accepted, this guy, Ernst, accepted more than $3. million in bribe payments over about a decade, beginning around 2008. And uh, in some years, he used 
up to five of his six allotted recruitment slots for students whose families paid the bribes directly. Um, so these are called irregularities in the liar world, the terminology that the college used, irregularities in recruiting practices. And I, I submit these to you uh, because um, this fellow really was motivated <clears throat> by the fact that as a tennis coach, get this now, or somebody who had access to this type of athletic world, he didn't receive the money that he felt he deserved. Now, <clears throat> in the uh, Angel Sunset today, there's an article that you might as well roll out and repeat every year about the salaries that football coaches get. So, you know, I can imagine that that really creates a little bit of in-house envy from time to time. You take a head coach, uh, like our head basketball girls coach, I think she's getting around five to 600,000. And, and you got the same salary going to a weight coach over here at the football team. <clears throat> who's not in charge of the whole team, who's not in charge of recruiting, is not in charge of, you know, he's right there uh, down the ladder of a of, 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 uh, name. You wouldn't know his name if it was written on the back of your car bumper. So um, <clears throat> I don't know where this is all going to end with this money floating around uh, and being now given disproportionately in many people's minds to all kinds of people for all kinds of reasons. But um, anyway, this was a former tennis coach, um, and he had figured out that he could hide this stuff as tennis admissions. Um, but he didn't feel like he was getting paid uh, commensurate with what coaches should be paid. So he found out a way to go, you know, put a little money in his pocket and get people admitted to the college. Um, interesting. Now, the other thing that's been going on in the sports world, as you may recall this, and it's, it, it behooves to talk about it now because every uh, facility in college now has a, how should I say this? I have a picture of it, but I didn't send it over production, so they can't put it up. Maybe I'll do it at the break. But anyway, every college um, seems to have, uh, at least in the, in the uh, basketball coliseum, there is one. Um, I haven't seen it necessarily. Interestingly, now I haven't seen it in the football stadium. I was over at the football stadium uh, Sunday working out uh, on, in the stadium there and uh, had to go to the restroom. And I noticed that the restroom signs in the stadium still say men respectively over one restroom and women over the other. Now, if you go to the basketball place, whatever it's called now, um, you'll find there's a unisex a bathroom there that you can go in, whether you're male, female, or transitioning, as they say. So this is a result of uh, activism by the LGBTQWXYZ group that had a pretty influential uh, boycott attitude, so much so uh, that it pressured uh, uh, particular uh, sports events to be moved completely out of a out of a town, uh, which is what happened when uh, the NBA, uh, N uh, the NCAA, and the NBA uh, 
left North Carolina six years ago over this very law I'm talking about, uh, requiring people to use public facility bathrooms corresponding to the sex on their birth certificates. So they protested that to LGBTQWXYZ and got the weak need events to pull out of uh, the, the community. But now uh, these people who organize these events have realized uh, that that didn't help them, that the greater good for them, it's always about them, uh, lay in the influence they had with the politicians and the community that subsidized uh, their facilities. Uh, you know, these uh, stadiums in these towns and whatnot are always on the taxpayer's tab in some way, shape, or form. So now the players, and this is going to be interesting because I'm going to talk about this in terms of Wimbledon in a minute, um, are talking about Brianna Turner, for example, who's on the Phoenix Mercury that I watched last night play the Los Angeles Sparks, um, wants to, to, to take the position that, uh, therefore, we players have to, on our socks and whatever else we've got, our wristbands, advertise uh, what our uh, political sympathies are, and um, that is going to be the a tactic that we're going to have to use. Now, i got to tell you that um, I believe Kyrgios was fined again. Somebody said ten grand. I haven't checked it out, so take that and, and wonder about it. But um, at the end of his victory yesterday, <clears throat> he took off his shoes that he played in and put on some shoes that afterwards asked him why he did that. And he said, well, he likes the shoes. He put on some shoes that are red. <clears throat> now, he was fined for that because the only permissible color in Wimbledon, according to their tradition, is white. You can have a, ba a ball cap on if it's white. Shoes, white. But he put on, not while he played, but he put on while he was um, being interviewed, <clears throat> red shoes. Well, you know, he's a, 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 a kind of a free spirit, shall we say. And uh, he said he liked them. Well, I have to think that Wimbledon is on the right track having taken a look at this uh, conversation now that women's soccer star Megan Rapinoe and Rapinoe and uh, this Mercury basketball player, they're just going to turn themselves into billboards for whatever political activity they're interested in. I applaud, therefore, Wimbledon for holding the line, even down to the saying to Kyrgios, we'll find, I think it was 10 grand, we'll fine you for putting those red shoes on. Because if we let the red shoes come in, just because Kyrgios likes them, uh, then we're going to have to let everything else come in for what reason? So I applaud Wimbledon for holding the line. Um, the boycott approach uh, didn't work because it damaged the local economy, economy and damaged political relationships. So now... Uh, we're going to see, we're going to keep, Coach Hall is going to keep an eye on this for you to see if there's any slippery slope here, to use that fallacy, any uh, slippery slope that would encourage um, individuals to broadcast themselves. Kaepernick's probably the extreme example of this right now. And the reason I think Kaepernick is not going to be successful in his individual political stance 
as an athlete on the field belonging to a team is that the team is going to realize it's going to cost them money because people are going to reject the team, reject the, um, um, the way in which the team allows this kind of stuff to happen. <clears throat> so I don't think he's going to get back in the league. And I don't think he can have a change of spirit. Now, the other thing that's happening in, in college athletics is all about money again. And remember, everything I grouped together today in Coach Hogg's locker room is about money. And that is the um, USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten, which means it's going to be one heck of a challenge for them to uh, come all the way from the West Coast routinely uh, to the middle of the Midwest and all that to um, play these games. And uh, people are sort of joking about that, but it won't matter. They'll, they'll do it if there's enough money. And what's driving this, of course, is we, and this is, uh, this is the opinion of Jason Gay, who writes about sports for the Wall Street Journal pretty well. I read him pretty regularly. Um, let's just sum up where we are with college sports right now. Um, they are absolutely shameless. College sports right now are absolutely shameless. They will do anything for money. Money, money, money. And they are coming to the Big Ten, USC, UCLA, um, driven by television money and driven by the fear that the SEC, uh, with Oklahoma and Texas coming, and Nick Saban at Alabama is going to dominate and just blow out of the water the Big Ten. So what we're waiting to see is what the ACC does. Right now, the ACC is the weak sister. <clears throat> and so uh, we don't know what exactly tack they're going to take, but they're going to have to respond. And they've got Clemson. They've got uh, in a possible affiliation there uh, that they could put into their uh, uh, league and maybe strengthen it up a little bit. Uh, but, uh, you know, right now we don't know what they're going to do. But um, this is going to, once again, the Big Ten has not been, quote, unquote, the Big Ten for quite some time. It simply is no longer that which you can count. Um, that really doesn't matter. It's about money, money, money. Well, 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 I think I have covered my coach hall's locker room with you right now it's um it's um kind of interesting to see what's going on in sports and nobody that i've talked to knows where it's going to end it's um it, you know it's just like um the horses are out of the gate now uh there's no, no jockey riding them um they they're going to just run off across the pasture and who knows where they'll go uh, and who knows where the salaries stop and who knows really where the money's coming from and um but you can count on one thing that this student hyphen athlete thing is a myth it is not so most of these guys really are not interested in a college education which once upon a time was the reward for coming to a school they are interested in uh what's in it for me and I wonder, years from now, 
what it will be like to try to raise money through a booster or alumni organization when you don't have guys who matriculated through the college, loyal to the college. They were, on the other hand, loyal to themselves. That's yet to be seen. People have talked about that, wondered how that's going to work out. Of course, I don't have an answer to that. I think it's uh, most interesting that it's, uh, it's out there to be discussed and you're watching it unfold in real time, uh, right in front of your very own eyes. Um, got another little story here locally I want to cover with you <clears throat> that uh, I think what we'll do, though, I'd like to take a break first and so I can come back and give this story some justice. Uh, it's about local politics and it's politics as usual, really. I want to talk a little bit about that. So uh, uh, production, if you can uh, run our sponsor thing a little bit early, please. And um, uh, give me a high sign that we're on the same page. And uh, uh, we got it. So we're going to take a little bit of break here. And when I come back, I'm going to talk to you about a couple of local things that are going on in the local election world. And then I want to talk about the title of today's show, The Democrat Playbook. We'll be right back in just a moment. This is Ward Scott. And I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, r and Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page, or call my friend, Freddie, at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, Thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. <laughs> Help me. Help Help. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. All right, welcome back to Professor Ward Scott's 
Manly Man Cave here in the Warhol Man Cave. Just got through giving you a sports update. I'm going to go through a little bit now of what's going on locally. It's kind of humorous to me. And I, I you know, I, this is the thing. It's uh, kind of unfortunate about politics. Politics is dirty. I don't want to cut it any other way with you. A sleazy, dirty, uh, disreputable, um, do anything to win, look out for themselves, lie to your face. You know, nobody ever tells it like it is because he's afraid he'll upset somebody, you know, lose a voter. So they don't ever say anything. They, they, they go one place and say one thing one way. They even have mail outs that they target for groups that are phrased differently from other groups entirely. It's just the name of the game. It's kind of a disgusting profession, if you call it that. Unfortunately, I'm mired in it. I've been around it for so long um, that I know too much, and I probably know more than most people ever want to know. I don't blame you. But um, I'm kind of amused every once in a while by some things. And um, this is about, this came out on a Facebook post that somebody sent me about Ed Belarski and a kid named Brian Eastman. Um, this Brian Eastman kid, he's a kid to me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, there's so many things in the world he doesn't know and can't know until he gets older. And that's just the way the world works. But that doesn't stop him from thinking he knows it. You know, there he is. And he's, he's a nice enough guy. I mean, all these people personally interact with me very nicely. Um, <clears throat> we, have, we can have a coffee together. Uh, it's kind of like uh, Kyrgios is off the tennis court. On the tennis court, uh, you got to be careful because he's going to do anything he can to win. And by the same token, you should be doing anything you can to win. But, you know, when the game's over, you can sit down and have a Kool-Aid together, you know, or all that business. It's a different world out on that, out on that court. And um, so I like to think that these people are a little different human beings than they are as politicians. And sometimes you have somebody who's just too good a human being to be a politician. And I think that's quite often the case, particularly on the national level, when you have sleazy people like Biden and Hillary Clinton, uh, Pelosi, um, uh, Pencil Neck, Schiff, uh, Fat Jerry Nader, all these guys are sleazy people. <clears throat> I apologize. Uh, it's been that kind of weather here lately for me. So I was bemused by this uh, Facebook post by Ed Balarski. And it came out yesterday. I'll read it to you. Uh, Ed Balarski is the guy who I told Ed, um, they're going to fire you as the uh, director of the GRU deal because you're rubbing their nose and they're incompetence. And uh, you, you can't... Uh, can't do that. Uh, a politician will not tolerate for long somebody who one ups him and embarrasses him. He'll he'll fire him. Uh, the great target usually are the are the um, uh, city and county managers. The city and county managers are usually the first ones to go if they're telling the commissioners what they don't want to hear. 
And if you are a manager, you have to really manage. You have to use all your personal relations skills to not, well, here's the way you do it. You never make them look bad. You make them think it was their idea because it's never their idea. And if you didn't protect them, they'd always look bad. <clears throat> so to give you a little history on Bilarski, he made them look bad, rightfully so. They have screwed up the economics of the city of Gainesville. They've screwed up GRU. They've screwed up everything they've touched. It really begins with Begin Anran. <clears throat> so I'm going to read you this thing that was on Facebook, and I think it's kind of funny. And this is uh, on, on Ed Bilarski's Facebook page. On this day when my family and I should be celebrating this country's birthday, I have been forced to address the dissemination of a letter to the editor written by Edward Bolarski. It seems that Brian Eastman thinks he has found the smoking gun that proves that Edward Bolarski is a conservative Republican, anti-women's rights, anti-gay, and anti-progressive movement. Eastman has emailed the letter to all the influential progressives he has on his contact list. Now, I have to confess, I haven't seen that letter. Uh, it would be interesting to see if in there is Brian Eastman actually accusing Malarski of those items, conservative Republican, anti-women's rights, anti-gay, or if that's just all implied. I'd like to see that, and if that's implied, then Ed has put it in there. But nevertheless, what Ed is objecting to follows in the next paragraph. Unfortunately, I didn't write the letter to the editor. My dad did. You see, I'm Edward Bilarski Jr. My dad is Edward Bilarski. When my family and I lived in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and he goes on to explain how that happened. And, um, uh, and then he goes, I'll skip down to the end here. Bilarski says that what bothers him is Brian Eastman's story. Bilarski thinks Eastman's actions are repugnant. Uh, why didn't he ask me, uh, a candidate for the committee, why did a candidate for commission try to dig up dirt on a mayoral candidate. Now that's a pretty, I'm going to get to that in a minute, why he did that. Uh, Brian Eastman is a, is a Democrat operative. He helps Democrats get elected, okay? <clears throat> and if you talk to the guys he helped get elected, they say he really did help them. And they say he was pretty good at that. It is very interesting that Brian Eastman, as a candidate for a commission seat, is still operating as an operative to demean somebody else running for a seat that he's not running for, and that's Polarski. That's very interesting. <clears throat> and you have to know Eastman to know why he did it. He did it because he is hired as a campaign manager. Now, I don't know whether he was paid to do this or not. Be interesting. But somebody of influence, and he, of course, wants to reciprocate with that somebody of influence because he wants that somebody's vote. So he practices, this is my opinion, by the way, my opinion, but I know these characters well. He practices his trade while he's running for office, but he practices his trade against somebody who isn't running for all. Now, Harvey Ward is running for the same seat. The thug, Banana Pudding, is running for the same seat that Barsky's running for. So you see the deal here? You see why it's a sleazy business? You see why it's never less than honest? 
I'm never, never totally honest. So always less than honest. Now, one of the things um, is uh, interesting. I went to Ed Malarski's Facebook page. And unfortunately, I have to say, as a neutral observer in this, I know both the guys, um, and I, as, as I say, I'm mired in this political crap more than I want to be. Ed Belarski has provided cover for Brian Eastman, if you will, because on Ed Belarski's page, Facebook page, it does not say Ed Belarski, comma, Jr. So you can't have it both ways, Ed. If you want to be known as Junior, then you need to put the Junior. A good example is the Sheriff, Clovis Watson Jr. And quite often, I look at the media coverage of him and they leave the Junior off. That's a big deal. Because in his case, there's a Clovis Watson III and a Clovis Watson IV and et cetera, et cetera. Kind of like George Foreman. Those juniors matter. And Clovis Watson is very, very protective, as he should be, of the media always saying Clovis Watson Jr., comma, junior. So Ed Bolarski and Brian Eastman are both out of line, in my opinion. Ed Bolarski is naive. He is unfortunately, new to the political game. If he's not careful, he's going to get chewed up and spit out. And the reason they're going to gang up on him is because he knows the whole secret of how that dysfunctional that city is. And they don't want that. <clears throat> so Eastman is experienced. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Eastman is experienced. And he knows how to work his way around the political world. Now, here's the other footnote about this, taking Eastman and Bolarski out of the conversation. The Gainesville Sun <clears throat> will turn a partisan, nonpartisan election, which is supposed to be the case with the city of Gainesville, into a partisan race come hell or high water. And I got to tell you, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to tell you the name of this, this person yet, but I think sooner or later I will. A very, very prominent, influential Republican office holder. Okay. Personally told me, I don't really think he realized what he was saying. Told me that he was going to support Ken Cornell, a Democrat, because they'd been childhood buddies. I'll let you figure it out from there. Because they'd been childhood buddies. Let me tell you something, my friends. If it were the other way around, and Ken Cornell were the Republican, and this guy was running for county commission as a Democrat, and Ken Cornell, the Republican, I mean, the Democrat, was going to support this guy for county commission who was Republican. The Democrat Party 
would come into that guy's life and say, no, you're not. You're not going to do that. We don't do that. I'm just introducing you to the Democrat playbook and how it works. So this particular gentleman, and I have two naive politicians that I'm talking to you about right now, are simply not schooled up on how the game is played. On how the game is played. Now, if the Republicans, and just witness what they're doing to Trump, if the Republicans try to play the game the same way the Democrats do right now, since the Democrats have the power, they will run an inquisition and schmear, schmear, schmear. Because the last thing they want happening is the tables turned on them. Single member districts, the same deal. The reason the county commission is going to fight against single member districts is the county commission, with the exception of the appointee, who's in the minority, are all Democrats and always have been Democrats. And they're not going to take a chance ever, <clears throat> ever, on letting the people change that. It's not going to happen. So let me, you, you take it from Professor Warthog here. I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. So Mr. Blarsky and Mr. Eastman, really, are just representative of the tip of the iceberg. Now, as evidence of how much the Gainesville sunset will interfere, Andrew Kaplan has an article today in the Gainesville sunset. Andrew Kaplan, we like to think, is maybe a slight cut above your average reporter over there. Nevertheless, he can't resist the temptation to write yet another story talking this time about loopholes and campaign laws and the loopholes and campaign laws um, are all about Republicans. And the reason he did this is because for the first time in recent history, there are a lot of Republicans in the school board race, which is a nonpartisan race. And there are a couple of Republicans running for the county commission. And so what Kaplan does, and they run this story out every election cycle. They spin it out every election cycle. It's all about Republicans can raise more money than Democrats. 
Let me harken back to a little story for you. It used to be in this county that the maximum contribution by an individual to a political campaign at the county level was $500. Well, the propaganda put out on that was that the Republicans could write bigger donation checks than the Democrats could. So the Democrats were cast as poor people and the Republicans were cast as rich people. And a committee was formed and Cynthia Chestnut and that crowd got it together. I know a, guy, a couple of guys were on it. One of them was a screaming liberal and the other was just plain naive. Pulled, quote unquote, from the community. And I'll be darned if they didn't run that argument past the powers that be here locally and get the maximum contribution cut in half. Using the argument that, of course, it's racial, racially driven, implied that white supremacy people, <clears throat> i.e. the Republicans, have all the money and the poor folk, the Democrats, don't. And so they got the campaign laws changed so the maximum contribution was 250. Have the amount of money that you could raise publicly. And it led to PAC money, an increase in PAC money, Political Action Committee. And there's a character quote uh, mentioned in this article by Kaplan, whom I'm not going to name. You can look at the character yourself. who was really a shadowy character. That's the way he's depicted in the article and by everyone's reputation and understanding, that's the way he operates. He's a political money bag guy. Now, he's not like this guy over here who had the scheme going for admissions to Georgetown where you give me money and I can get your kid in as a tennis player. But if you get me money, I can get away around the law limitation so we can spend it on advertising your candidate. Both sides do it. But Kaplan doesn't mention the money man for the Democrats. If you read the article, take a notice of that. He mentions the money man for the Republicans, whom they can, the Democrats consider to be an almost a totally evil character. But nothing about the counterpart for the Democrats. So there's a smear job that's been done by Kaplan, either wittingly or unwittingly. I don't know if the dude's got enough sense to know what he just did, but his editors do. Every election cycle, the Gainesville Sunset runs this crap up the flagpole again. And they do a job on where the Republicans get the money, how they get it, and who, who, who uh, brown bags it to them, all that business. And they cast the Democrats to be just good guys. 
like Brian Eastman. Oh, just really. Look at who Ed Bilarski really is. And the Ed Bilarskis fall right into the trap by not ever using the, the junior after their name. If you go, you can't play that card if you'd never used it. So I applaud Eastman for figuring that out. Okay, the ball's back in your court, Barsky. And I'll let you know that I messaged Ed Barsky, who's a Facebook friend, and said, Ed, you need to put Junior behind your name if you're going to make this argument. Because I never knew he was a junior. Did anybody in this community ever know he was a junior? Got me. You know, we had Independence Day. I thought this was interesting. Chris Mallory did this research. And it doesn't surprise me in the least. Having been in the classroom as a professor, I know what I'm dealing with. Hey, and not only, by the way, what, what I'm about to talk about with you is not only are the students ignorant of important things in their past, form their country and their values, but so are the reporters. Every time I've ever been interviewed by a reporter, I've had to educate the reporter on what to ask me. All the way up to the New York Times when I was interviewed by the New York Times. The guy didn't know what the heck he was talking about. So I said to him, you know, this is the thing, really, it matters. So then he started asking me questions about the things I told him that matters. And locally, it's really pivotal. I don't care how good those young people are. You have to educate them so that they don't ask dumb questions. Now, Chris Mallory did a survey. And guess what he found out? No surprise me in the least. Two out of three young people haven't got a clue whom America declared its independence from in 1776. No wonder somebody can come along and write another version of history. They don't, the young people don't know the original version of history. This survey found that many Americans should go back to school, so says Chris Mallory. But let me tell you something. Going back to school wouldn't cure a darn thing. They're just as dumb there. And it also turns out that one in three per, uh, people, uh, they don't know how to spell, in, that person doesn't know how to spell independence. And even fewer knew why Americans celebrated the 4th of July. There was a poll of 1,030 Americans commissioned by lawsuit.org found over a third spelled independence incorrectly. Furthermore, found that the Internet searches for how to spell independence go up by 85% during the July 4th holiday weekend. 
They have all kinds of misspellings. They, they don't know the language. I, I, I hear big time paid commentators butcher the past perfect tense. <clears throat> Just butcher it. Don't have any clue what it is. Give you an example. If he had ran, I go crazy when I hear that. It's if he had run. They don't have a clue how to conjugate the past perfect. They don't have a clue how to conjugate the present perfect. They don't have a clue what it is. Most elementary school students haven't got a clue what 4th of July is about. One in three thought that July 4th celebrated America's independence from the Native Americans. Fifty-eight percent of all the people answered the question correctly said they gained their freedom from Great Britain. But eight percent said Europe. Another eight percent said South America. And more than 12 percent said none of the above. It's amazing. No, it isn't. It's not amazing. One in 10 of those people polled didn't know how many stripes were on the American flag. They know it's red, white, and blue. The average American thinks there are 14 stripes on the flag instead of 13, which symbolized the original 13 colonies. Come on now. And we were, you know, and we want to, we want to, we want to teach systemic racism. And these people can't even, don't get me started. Critical race theory. I'm going through the Democrat playbook right now. The left is busy dismantling the founding fathers. The left is in charge of these schools. You think they, they, they care if these kids don't know how to do this? Um, so they got the critical race theory. They got the 1619 project. They're removing statues and renaming schools, um, canceling America's history and heritage, and replacing it with violence in the street and violent rhetoric. We showed you the mayor of Chicago just before this terrible situation took place in Chicago saying, F you, Clarence Thomas. And she has got a record number of shootings and killings every weekend in Chicago. And it'll make the news. This is where we are. This is where we are. And now we've got Biden up there claiming, supporting, misnaming, deliberately misleading, deliberately misinforming, supporting the cancer, uh, a cancel culture, which includes abortion. He's, he's, he's waded into that. And there's a huge war going on on Thomas Jefferson and George Washington, which I really don't have time to get into today, but I'm going to get into. It is, is a, it is a, it is a consistent, the Democrat playbook, it is a consistent 
relentless attack on America. And instead of America, the beautiful to them, it's America, the ugly, America, the racist, America, the oppressive. This message is sent all through television and news media, public ed education, academia. It has led to mobs in the street. Some kind of vague chant like racial justice, women's rights that don't have any meaning to them. The destruction of property. It's amazing. This is from Don Federer, who writes for the Boston Herald. It's amazing. I'm running out of time. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.